Welcome to the Sign Out Podcast. What is it that you say you're serious about, but you're not sincere? Individuals, we all have things in our life that we say are important to us, but our actions don't line up with our rhetoric. We all, as individuals, have our journeys and our many journeys. And it doesn't matter what it is that we're accomplishing or how big the accomplishment is, because it's, it's specific to each individual. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. We're excited. Um, today, we have a very special guest. He is my one and only oldest brother, Brent Thornton. Just to give you a little background, Brent is six years older than me. And as I was thinking about it the other day, I realized by the time I was 12, he was 18 and already moving out of the house. And now at 44 and 50, we spent a lot of time apart, um, living in different cities pretty much that entire time. And so this is a great opportunity to get to sit down and just dig a little deeper um, into what drives Brent and just some of the neat things he's done over his life. Uh, A lot of cool hobbies that he's taken a great interest into um, and done a lot of really cool accomplishments that uh, as a brother definitely makes me proud. And I have a lot of good stories I can tell friends just from the things that he's done, which I always enjoy. So Brent, welcome to the show today. Thanks, man. It's uh, it's good to be a part of it. Great day. Speaking of hobbies, we're sitting in my study here and guitars, (laughs) mounts, books, Golf clubs. Yeah, we are definitely in Amps. the we're definitely in the man's study room today as there are two guitars and a bass sitting next to me and a deer head that's not hung on the wall that's just sitting in the chair and a nice large bookshelf full of books. So there's a lot of good information in here. So just a quick background, um, just some high level stuff. Brent's been married quite a long time. He's got a daughter and a son, both in college. And his wife's a librarian, and Brent has been a banker most of his professional career, uh, not necessarily following the footsteps of our dad, but our dad was a banker for quite a long time, and uh, Brent's been doing that. How many years have you been in banking, Brent? Uh, I've been in banking um, 21 years. 21 years. And you did have a couple of other careers or jobs prior to that, um, and other things that are interesting, like the golf club, golf club company. Yeah. Yeah, kind of interesting, you know, starting out and trying to find my way, what it was I was going to do. And, you know, I started out doing commercial real estate appraisal and wanted to get in the sales side of things and work for a Fortune 100 company on the sales side at the time or Fortune 500 and then moved into the financial arena from there. But I had a brief stint with a friend from college, worked in um, the golf business, specifically tool manufacturing. That was pretty cool. It was uh, it was interesting, but I knew it wasn't something long-term that I wanted to be a part of. But golf is something that is long-term for you and has been one of your hobbies. Oh, yeah. Yeah, golf. I mean, what a great game. And fortunately, I picked it up when I went to college. I mean, our, our dad, dad didn't really play golf. I mean, he would play like a couple times a year, but um, it wasn't something that he would go out and do for enjoyment or consider it enjoyment probably. And the cool thing about the game is um, my son, Jack, I mean, he plays college golf, and then once he took an interest in it, just having him be a part of that, and that's something that he and I can share together, and it's a lot of fun. Right. So 
just going through a list of things that I've observed and over the years of just different hobbies. And some of these you're still, or a lot of these you're actually still into today. Running, something you're still very active in. But I still remember in your 20s when you decided you're going to run the Houston Marathon. Yeah. Which I think was your first marathon. And I remember going to that and I was still pretty young. And honestly, I was surprised of all the different types of people that run a marathon and that finished before you, behind you. But I, then I was like, I thought that was a really big deal. 26 miles seemed like a long time um, I mean, to be running and doing all that. But I remember that was probably the first thing I remember you doing. That was a kind of a, I'm going to set this goal and go do that. What made you want to run a marathon back you then? You know, that was, I'm trying to think back. And you were fresh out of college. Yeah. Running was something that I enjoyed, but didn't really know anything about. And it's one of those things that I just kind of popped up one day and said, Hey, I'm going to run a marathon. I didn't have any idea what I was doing. I didn't know how to train or what to train and just went and did it. But that was something that was probably the start of me having an affinity and a love for running and just started my my path of learning about it. So I struggled through that marathon, and then I ran the next year. I did that marathon again, and then the interesting thing, I went about what I thought would be the best training for me and cruised through it and, and actually ran a really respectable time, And but I still didn't know what I was doing about running. Right. And that was, I mean, that was almost 25 years ago. Yeah, it was like 91, 92 Wow, yeah, so when you ran that marathon, and to this day, you're still an active runner. Yes. So one thing that you did last October, which when I tell people about, they just can't believe it, was the rim to rim to rim Grand Canyon, uh, would you call that an ultra marathon run? Well, it's um, let's just call it rim to rim to rim. Right. And then for those that are out there, Listening, the interesting thing, it's not an organized race. It's not, it's it's just an event. But the Grand Canyon is such a magical place. And when I first got into starting to run ultras, if you looked at any ultra runner's bucket list, rim to rim or rim to rim to rim is like the pinnacle. It is the ultimate ultra runners run to do so I had made that a goal that was something I wanted to do so and that was a journey that got launched maybe oh gosh six six years ago so wow it was a while back so we're going to come back to that because it was one of your most recent things you've done that is a major physical feat and we're going to come back to things you went through when you did that but even taking a step back, so you've been running this whole time, but then throughout this last 25 or so years, you've done other things. One thing you got into was mountain bike riding, which we have a middle brother, Ben, who's been in cycling his entire life. And at different times, Ben, Brent, or I have raced mountain bikes or done different bike rides. But I distinctly remember one season where you decided you're going to race your class of mountain bikes and you did the entire Texas series and ended up winning second, second place mm-hmm. for the series, which another really cool accomplishment to say, you know what, I'm going to decide that I'm going to focus on mountain biking. And you had not really taken a big interest in biking prior to that. You didn't no. grow up cycling. 
No. And then I'll just like back up and then this is something that's really integral to bring Ben into the equation and, and Ben's our our middle brother because Ben and myself and some friends, we were climbing Mount Rainier and to long story short is I was probably at that time of my life, you know, pretty out of shape for me. Um and I don't really do good at altitude. So I basically bonked um, just hiking up to base camp, which is going from three to about 11,000 feet up to Glacier. And we had to come down off the mountain. We weren't able to summit. That's another long story because some bad storms. But being that that out of shape, I remember I was like, golly, man, this sucks. And I can remember just asking Ben, because Ben has been racing mountain bikes ever since he was a teenager. Hey, man, what's the hardest race out there? And he's like, right off the bat, Leadville 100. And he wouldn't say that today because things have just evolved. But if you go back to when this was and, you know, the late 90s. So in my mind, I said, you know what? I'm going to... um, start riding a bike. I mean, I'm I'm going to make that a goal. And it was a it was a journey that took me about 5 years to get to complete it to my satisfaction. So, I distinctly remember the Leadville 100 and if you don't know about that race, it's still a race today that's put on one weekend is a cycling and mountain bike race, 100 miles starts in Leadville, Colorado. The entire race is above 10,000 feet. Yeah, with a ten-mile climb from mile forty to fifty up to over fifteen thousand feet. Yeah, well, it's over fourteen. But the thing is, there is you have three passes going out that you have to ascend and descend, and then you turn right around and come back over those same three passes. Right. So the amount of climbing, and again, all above ten thousand feet is crazy. For those people that really like to run, the next weekend they then do that race and they run it a hundred miles. And it started out as a running ultra before it was a biking right mm-hmm. and, and, and to this day it's still considered one of the top ultras right. as far as on the running side i know the biking's kind of gotten really commercialized but it's uh it's one of the big races and this and when we so i actually was part of the first group who attempted that race the first year and we had about five or six guys and only one finished you and I didn't finish that race. Correct. And in fact, I didn't even make it past the 25-mile cutoff because I was just dying from the altitude. But this is what's interesting, too, is is both of my brothers have this something that's in them where they set these goals and can go out and do those. And it's just I don't have the exact same thing in me or that same drive to do some of these um, things that they have. So I... That's one, you know, one reason I want to talk to Brent is to understand more about that. But, but ultimately, the next year you finished the Leadville, and I'm, I'm not sure how many more times you. Did well, you... I finished it, but I wasn't considered an official finisher because I finished outside the recognized time cutoff, which is 13 hours. Um, right. Yes, and I finished in like 13:15. But really, you have to finish under 12 to get um, recognition. And then, or I forget what you get. 
The belt what buckle. do you get? You get the belt buckle. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's right here on the wall. Yes. How can I forget? Yeah. Right here behind me. I yes. got that belt buckle. Yeah. It's in so, the shadow box. But if you finish outside 12 and in between 13, they'll put your name down as a finisher, but you're not listed. So the next year I went back and I finished 13, 15, and I, I, I had to wait until the, the year after that. So on my third attempt to finish inside the time cutoff and that was uh, for me. That was a really big deal. That it's a huge accomplishment having tried it myself, but also to come from Texas, living at no altitude. Yeah, and I don't do good at altitude either. Right. So that's that's a very big accomplishment, and that's a lot to put your body through to be on a bike. 12, 13 hours, and you're either going uphill or downhill in that race. There, yeah. There's really not a lot of just hanging out on the seat, like a long road ride. You, you really just can't hang out when you're on a mountain bike in Colorado. No. You're always on. So biking, um, another thing that you've done throughout your life, and you've done a lot of different stuff is hunting. Whether you, I mean, I remember you used to duck hunt quite a bit when you were much younger, and now you do various types of hunting you bow hunt you rifle hunt out of that out of hunting just from shooting you have a a love for shooting itself um there for a while you were doing skeet shooting or trap shooting um long range shooting which you've been involved in as well and you have more adventures in that whether you're out backpacking with your friends hunting just open range or in Arizona, sitting on a mountaintop, just looking for hours through your binoculars for some deer that are very hard to see and find. But that's another thing that that you do that you've been doing for a long time. Yeah. So the hunting thing is interesting. Unfortunately for us, our dad, mainly for the family and for socialization. I mean, we just had some families and grew up and going to our deer lease and doing that. But really of the kids, I think I'm the only one that really enjoyed it or developed a, a passion to, to hunt. And going back to being young right out of school, there was a couple things that, you know, making my bucket list of things I wanted to do. And from the hunting aspect, those things that I said I wanted to do way back when, I've done those. And now... It's cool because the things that I want to do now is just continue to evolve as far as the different types of species and things that I really enjoy. And really, it's this—it's just how mentally challenging and physically challenging can it be? And then that's the things that I'm kind of drawn to. And, and then that's why it's coos deer hunting. So coos is a form of whitetail, but really they call that poor man sheep hunting because sheep hunting is insanely expensive. Um, but coos deer hunting isn't, and they're really only in the desert in Arizona, some parts of New Mexico, and then Mexico, old Mexico. Right. And I think you hit on it just a moment ago about the physicalness of hunting, and a lot of Average people don't understand that aspect of hunting because they may see just something on TV where a guy's going to a tree stand or sitting in a small box blind and just sitting there and they're really not out. But you're talking about hiking and being outside all day long. Yeah. 
And, and, and that's the thing. I mean, there's a lots of guys. Arizona is a great state because it's predominantly public land. So a lot of people who grew up in Arizona, they're what they grow up learning to hunt is not like what you see on hunting shows or traditionally in Texas and states where people hunt whitetail because you are having to get out. You are having to hike up on a ridge. You are having to sit and these deer do not come out during the day. They're bedded down and, and they're, they're, they're not big at all. Um, I mean, they're about the size of a great Dane and, you know, trying to have to find them through some premium optics and anyway, uh, so, so yes, that type of hunting I enjoy. I have a friend, and Cameron Haynes was a big influence on us when we first started hunting because he was a made his name as a do-it-yourself hunter on these long solo trips and packing his own crap in and just being by himself. And then so when we got to a point of our lives where we didn't have all the family demands being empty nesters, that's what we started doing. Right. And then, you know, it's fun. It's kind of challenging. It's a little bit nerve-wracking for that learning. And, and we're novices when it comes to that, but that's part of the journey and the learning that makes it fun. Just a little side note. I was just listening to an interview the other day with Cameron Haynes, and if you don't know Cameron Haynes, I would go look him up because he trains. Insane. Insane to the point where where there are weeks where he runs a marathon every day. He doesn't run it all at once, but he runs morning, lunch, and afternoon and does a marathon almost every day. And all this training for him is so that he can be the best hunter that he can possibly be. Man. And, and, and make sure that he is doing everything perfect. I'm going to have to, I mean, plug him and Cameron Haynes... Uh, the thing that's so impressive about him is he has a full-time job. Yes. He he has a family. Uh, now, yes, he is sponsored by Under Armour, but that didn't come. That come after years of his right. hard work. And just that guy has insane dedication. I don't think anybody is day in and day out um, – as disciplined as he is. Right. I mean, his diet, he has an insane diet. He doesn't drink. Um, he eats extremely healthy. He works out. He runs. And he's just always demonstrated positive mental attitude to the T. Right. And, and he ain't no slouch when it comes to running ultras. No. He it's just cleared um, the Moab two, 240 that was a point-to-point race. I mean, he was a, had a very respectable finish in that. He and his brother both, and I think the Bighorn 200, I mean, he's a machine. He's, the, he's his, true beast mode. Yeah, his <laughs> next goal is 500. I was just listening to an interview the other day. His next goal is 500, which is unimaginable. If, and then Cameron can do it. Right. I don't know the guy, right? but just from his social media presence and following him since the early 2000s, he's a stud. But that's not what we're here about. Right, but that so that ties in because when you talk about dedication – um, one thing that I've witnessed of you is your dedication to whatever you're into. Now, any, either you, Ben, or me can easily be accused of having multiple hobbies that we like to get into. And then when we get into it, we get into it far so that we learn about it and try to become 
experts at whatever that hobby is. But dedication is important because I don't go through all these to talk about, oh, all these accomplishments you've done. I wanted to talk about these different events you've had because it is the dedication where you decide I'm going to make this goal and then I'm going to do what it takes to get there because these aren't easy things. When you talk about Leadville, when you talk about just racing mountain bikes, running, um, you run, not only have you run the Grand Canyon rim to rim to rim, you've run rim to rim, you've done a 50K, um, multiple marathons. So when you start looking at all that, that takes dedication and it takes goals, right? You've got to decide, I'm going to do this. So what's your process around when you decide, hey, I've got this thing out there and it's now, that's what I want to do? You know, that's really interesting. That's a, it's a good question. Let me back up a little bit because for me, it took me till I got later in life to where I realized this and then actually to where I sat down and tried to come up with what my values are as a person and did that with my family as well. And that's something that is because of the company I'm with, um, First United Bank, who I've been with for the last five years, and really their intentionality towards purpose and values and being a conscious capitalism company. Um, I would encourage everybody, check out spendlifewisely.com. Go to that website. They'll tell you a little bit about who we're about. But when I sat down and determined my values personally, there was two things that were values of mine, but they weren't of our family when we set our values. One was adventure and one was learning. So for me, I just feel like that if I'm not learning, if I'm not pursuing or on a little side journey within my journey, that I'm not growing. And then I have a personal belief that we need to be learning every day and growing every day of our life. And that's the thing that's like been the the driver for it. So I'm just like, you know what? I start thinking about things and kind of researching it, and then I just kind of will put my toe in and see if this is something that's going to take. And then if it starts to take, then I'll look down the road. Okay, what is it that I want to set my goal or what is it I want to accomplish on this little mini journey? So the thing for me that's cool is we all as individuals have our journeys and our many journeys. And it doesn't matter what it is that we're accomplishing or how big the accomplishment is because it's it's specific to each individual. So I might have done rim to rim to rim, but that might not be as big as the person that just finished their first 5K. Exactly. And that's one of the cool things that has stuck in the ultra community is they're so supportive and they just have such a big picture perspective. And it's not just a bunch of, yeah, they're competitive, but they recognize that. And maybe because of all the holes and the the deep, dark spots you get in and come out of that they know that the person that's never run a 5K before that's sitting on the couch that has to get up and do that, that they're going to go through the same things that an ultra runner is going to go through to... At mile 75 of 100. Yeah. Right, right. Back up just a little bit, though. Um, cause I don't want to gloss over the fact that you talked about that your family has some values that y'all came up with. What was, what are those values if you don't mind sharing or how that process came about? Well, you know what? I'll, I'll talk about the process. Um, the interesting thing about that was that was something on my personal growth and 
my development path that I started to try to do for myself and decided to do for the family. And to be honest, the only way, um, both my kids were in high school at the time, the only way I was able to do that was when I held had them held captive when we were driving to Houston. <laughs> which is a long drive from Denton. <laughs> which is a long drive from Denton. So they're in the car. And then once they figured out like, hey, dad ain't going to stop on this, then they, uh, they started participating and it worked out to be pretty cool. And the most interesting insight on that for us is our family is what, and then defining them. I mean, and then I'll just talk about this. So we, friendship is big value of our family. And the interesting thing about that is we, we, we define that as, hey, we, friendships are important. They're a high priority. And we take our friends in as part of our family. So when we were trying to define that, we realized that our friendships and relationships, they have just as much importance as our family. And we treat them like it's all just one entity. Right. But fun was another was another value for our family that we determined. Faith. We had faith, fun, perseverance. That was interesting because that didn't come up for something for me, but the family has a lot of grit. Um, well, Kristen has a lot of grit. And then Morgan, my oldest, and Jack, both are like that. And how does perseverance play into these things that you set out to do? Well, you got to have some constitution on some of these things, you know, set out right. to do. You're going to get in a deep, dark hole, and getting in that deep, dark hole, um, getting out of it, that's, that's, the, that's the cool part. Each deep, dark hole you get in and get out of, you're just that much stronger, and you learn that much more about yourself. And you probably realize, and I think because your most recent large event is the one you did last October where you did the rim to rim to rim. And I can think that you probably, there were many times where you just sat down and was like, what am I doing? And, you know, what's going through your mind? And then how do you, how do you get out of that and just keep that next step going? You know, um, th the cool thing about that is, so I have a coworker, um, and this coworker is really intentional. Um, actually, is certified in teaching emotional intelligence to people. And I was talking with her about this, uh, about this, and I was probably at this time about two months out. And I really, my my inner critic in my head was like just kicking my ass as far as, you know, I'd get worked up if I didn't have a good training week because of work or family that I couldn't get my runs in. And we were talking about this and she challenged me to, she's because in emotional intelligence to don't want to get on a sidetrack on that, but to prevent yourself from your amygdala getting hijacked, you need to prevent that cortisol and that adrenaline being released in your body. And the only way to do it is, or not the only way, but a way that they teach is to practice gratefulness and practice gratitude. Have a happy moment in your life that you can go back to to get your brain to produce dopamine and then prevent that hijack from happening to where you have that fight or flight syndrome. But it's something that's really hard because if you don't practice something, you're not good at it. So 
she encouraged me to start really practicing gratitude during my training runs, during the day. So anytime I felt some type of anxiety or angst or something, what is it that I'm grateful for and why? And it was hard, but that right there, and then having a conversation with Ben, he frames it up a little bit differently that, you know, you got to have that gratefulness and that gratitude and focus on things like that to keep the monkey that jumps on your back that tells you that you suck, you can't do this, just pack it in. I mean, just go ahead and lay down. I mean, it's no big deal. Just go to sleep. Just quit. So... I can't remember what you asked. Well, so when you're in the middle, when you're in the middle of the desert, you're in the desert, and it's it could be a night because I mean you ran for 19 hours, so you had. Well, I didn't run all 19 right, hours. Right. But okay, but you were. Moving I was out there moving for 19, 19 hours. hours. Right. But so in those moments, you know what was it? Did you have to go back to those happy spots to just take oh, that man. next step, or were you just thankful? So like I've just started working out harder the last six months than I have and my prior life. And although I don't enjoy working out, I'm very thankful that my body is in a situation that I can do that. And that's, that's my gratitude. So were you just thankful that, wow, look at what I'm doing? You know, no, no. You weren't. I wasn't. Okay. I mean, I am appreciative of that. Maybe that's in hindsight after you go back. And look um, so I, I don't have it with me, but I actually had like a plan like broken down, like where all the water faucets were in the canyon and different things and what I was going to do. And one of the things that I tried to do was engage anybody I came across. And then that would force, you know, conversation. And then because I I think I needed that connectivity with people. Right. So that was big. And remind me to come back to that because that's something that plays into Kristen's part in this. And... I think I was just comfortable because I basically got hurt in the first four miles and I knew it on the descent. So I knew that it wasn't going to be a good day. Um, and I, I was just comfortable like, you know what, it's, it's, it's going to be a long time. And then I just need to, I just need to just keep moving because on the North Rim. So when I got to the North Rim, I sat up there for an hour. I had $500 in my pocket and I'm like, I can pay somebody to drive me back. And no one was hurt. And I was like, uh. And I just sat there with a guy and talked to him that he ran up the North Rim with me. And we just chatted. And he's like, what are you going to do? And I'm like, F it, man. I'm gone. And he's like, well, have fun, man. You can do it. <laughs> and, and so, but. Well, how many miles is that, too? Because we've just been talking about rim to rim to rim. Well, rim to rim to rim, depending on your route, it's anywhere from 40, like 42 to 47 miles. And then like mine, I went the 47-mile route. And and you're either going uphill or you're going downhill. Well, yeah. So like, I mean, you have the canyon walls that are probably, oh, 10 miles apart. So you're either going up or down. And then like even in the canyon, when you get to Colorado River, you're slightly going up to get to the north rim, to the north wall, or you're coming down. And there's it's um it's hard to explain, but man, it's a pretty magical place. But going back to that, that whole connectivity thing, yeah, that's a huge part of it. And then just really trying to in those deep moments to be thankful. 
I have a I have a great marriage. I have an awesome wife. I have two wonderful kids. I really don't have any main stresses. Um, I do okay in my job. I work for a great company. I'm pretty healthy. Um, I have these pursuits and things that I'm able to do. So just really focusing on that. And, you know, that's kind of the whole gratitude part. Well, and you wanted to come back more to that connectivity, some more. Yeah, the cool thing on that connectivity, and then it's just when it's dark in the Grand Canyon, it's dark. It's 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 really dark. And then so I was coming when I got to the river, the Colorado River, and was getting on the south wall. Um, so you're like three quarters of the way done. Yeah. So I have about a um, oh, I think it's an eight mile. Eight or nine miles from the river up the Bright Angel Trail to the top of the South Rim, but anyway, the sun was setting and it was getting dark, and I mean, I was in really, really, really bad shape. And the cool thing is, so I, I don't know at this point, I'm like getting a little bit delirious, and then I'm supposed to be coming up. I should be like three miles from the top of the rim, and you have these steps that are probably about. I don't know, 12 to 20 inches high. They're not steps, but in the trail. Right. And I couldn't even get up that crap. It was like so hard. But Kristen had prayed for one thing, and that was for me to run into strangers that would talk to me. And then unbeknownst, so I didn't know this until afterwards. And then so I am like moaning in the middle of the dark, I'm sitting there, and I hear, hey, man, how's it going? And I'm like kind of put my headlamp, and there's a guy sitting in khakis and a North Face jacket on a stool on the side of the trail. And I'm like, what are you doing? (laughs) And he goes, hey, hey, man, I'm just sitting here on the trail. I mean, like we're like blasting some rock up top, and I'm just making sure it's cool. And he goes, are you okay? And I'm like, dude, I am so trashed. And he goes, well, where are you coming from? And I said, I'm on the last part of rim to rim to rim. And the guy's tone and his voice just lit up. He goes, oh, man, everybody's trashed at this point. He goes, dude, you got this. I mean, I could barely walk. And here's this guy pumping me up, asking me if I need anything. I didn't believe a word he said. I'm like, if I'm three miles from the top, where's the water faucet? It's right up there. So anyway, the long story short, that guy really lifted me up. And he said, I got a buddy. He radioed up, hey, I got a runner coming up. And he was two or a mile and a half from where he was. So when I got to his buddy, his buddy was waiting on me and just running into these guys in the dark. I just think that was an answer to prayer. And that guy took his flashlight on the wall and he counted out the switchbacks I had left and like highlighted it and showed it to me and then sent me on my way. But, you know, I think running into people like that really helped. Connectivity. Practicing gratitude. Well, you you just made a comment there though about meeting people in the dark, and that that made me think about having people around you that people in your lives that when you are in the dark that are there for you. Huge. Um, I have a friend right now that uh, she's been struggling with alcoholism. No one knew it. Struggling in a marriage, kept it in the dark but I isolated himself, and he's got a great friend network, another close friend having a conversation with who's all put together and 
has everything on top of it, but his inner demons he had never shared with anyone. And that darkness, um, that's something that's, I mean, we can be standing outside at high noon sunshine, but in your head it can be really dark. Yeah. And then that's something that's really important is allowing people the space and developing the trust where you can have those conversations. One of my good friends, um, his college roommate and best man at his wedding, they just buried him on Friday. He committed suicide a week prior, and nobody knew that he was struggling with depression. Yeah. He was mid-40s, wife, three kids. And so when you talk about all these adventures, um, you've done a lot of these with people and friends. And I and I know in my personal life too, it's been very important to have that connection with men around me that at any moment I can just walk up and just say, this is what's going on. Yeah. With, with no shame and no judgment. Yeah, that is, uh, that is huge. And, um, but if you have those dark moments and you pull through them, those are the experiences that you can put in your memory bank and you're just that much stronger. Right. Someone goes from not running off the couch and they just do their first 5K, they're that much stronger. And that's part of the cool thing that that I kind of like and it just I just like pushing myself and learning. So is that so if you're summing up your why and just trying to, you know, make that a little more concise when people are like, "Brent, why do you do all these crazy things?" cuz I know you have friends who are like why are you going to run that? That's insane, dude. Why would you ever do that? Well, it's because I want to learn and grow. And those things, those, those are, provide me experiences to where I can learn a whole lot about myself. You want to learn something about yourself? Get all by yourself in the canyon in the middle of the night where it's just no way out but you Walking and your feet. And, and running. You're forced to figure out what it is that you can do. And that's what kind of draws me to things that you don't have like that big support network. So, yeah, I could go do a 50-mile trail run where we got like all these badass aid stations every five miles. And there's music going when you get back to the finish line. And there's people on the route. But I'm not discounting that by any means, but for me, I just prefer the little bit less traveled route. Right. And, you know, the, the next thing, and these are things that I've planned out like in advance. So this year, there's an unsupported 100-mile trail run, and that's what I'm, that's what I'm going to do. And I'm also going back to the canyon this fall. I'm taking a friend. Um, it happens to be one of my friends that I just mentioned that was struggling, and we're going to do rim to rim to rim, and we're going to hike it, though. We're not going to run. We're going to do it straight through. And, you know, just so he can have his experience of that, and I can kind of be his guide on that journey and assist him, hold That's him awesome. accountable. That's awesome. But I think it's important, too, to, and you've talked about it today, is that it's not – you don't have to have your rim to rim, but you need to have your experience. And if the 5K is your experience or getting up today and going walking for three miles for the first time in your life or the first time in recent years, just yeah. really finding something that you can put your mind towards. And really, and, and part of that is keeping your body spiritually and physically in shape. Um, the importance of doing that and the benefits that come from being a healthier person. 
doesn't mean life's easier, but just being healthier. No, and I, I want to be there. I was listening to a guy at work was sharing. We were talking about perspectives and outlook the other day, and a guy at his gym, at he's 86 years old, and at the start of this year, he came into the gym, and he works out at that gym and sees him all the time. He goes, man, I really think this is going to be the best year of my life. And that guy that's 86 years old can do 17 pull-ups. Wow. So, yes, it's it's just something that everybody's got to get out there and do. I mean, I, I think you and I both like listen to the Rogan podcast with David Goggins. Didn't you listen to that? That's the ultra that Yeah, the ultra that's runner? the guy that was like a Navy SEAL. Oh, and, yes, yes. I mean... He just went out and did it. That guy's story, though, you go back to the beginning. I mean, it's a long podcast. I mean, it's pretty interesting. He went from 300 pounds to getting in the Navy in six months. He couldn't walk around a track once. Wow. But everybody has those things, and I do want to be there. I want to be able to, um, good Lord willing, um, you know, see my kids as they go into young adulthood, hopefully have grandkids. I don't want to struggle to get down and I mean I want to be able to get on the roller coaster if they want to go hunting I can take them hunting if they want to go do something do that that's awesome well do you have any final thoughts today we've had a really good conversation around adventure and I think the importance of adventure in your life and the importance of having these things that you pursue um, pushing yourself and really learning from those and learning about what you're about to do and then learning about yourself through that I would say the, the the one thing that I would add and just as an encouragement, and this is something I try to um, keep perspective for myself is a couple things. One is what is it that you say you're serious about, but you're not sincere? So individuals, we all have things in our life that we say are important to us, but our actions don't line up with our rhetoric. So what are you serious about and not sincere? Yeah, I want to get in shape. Well, okay. What are you doing? So, so you're serious about it, but you're really not sincere. Right. That's something I try to challenge myself with and hold that perspective. The other one is comparison is the thief of joy. Say that again. Comparison is the thief of joy. Do not compare yourself because all that's going to do is rob you of your joy. And if you must, if you really get down to it, this goes to Jordan Peterson, you know, his 12 rules of life. Compare yourself to who you were yesterday. And I say that because it's real easy because there's always someone out there that's bigger, better, faster, smarter, stronger, prettier, whatever, and that doesn't matter. Right. So I would just wrap it up and encourage people to challenge themselves. What are you serious about? Not sincere. Don't compare yourself to others. All that's going to do is rob you of your joy. And every day, practice gratitude. What is it that you're grateful for and why? you enjoyed episode three of the sign out podcast i hope you find your motivation to put yourself out there to accomplish a goal you don't have to ride 100 miles or run the grand canyon just decide to make a move and keep moving i want to say thank you to caleb j murphy for the audio production and original music he created for sign out you can check out more of his music at calebjmurphy.com thanks everybody we appreciate the audience and you'll have a great day